All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us once again. It's a tip show. I am Jack slash the Grey Knight. I am honored to be here. I am very grateful to be here. I don't know how to hype or do anything like that, so I'm not going to... Uh, in, instead, I'm trying to keep it pretty natural and pretty easy. So this is uh, this is this is how I'm going to do that. I'm going to tell you about my day, the news I read, and then I'm going to get into the like the actual stuff. Uh, and I just you know hope that you have a good time because I I certainly do. I look forward to this, believe it or not, every single week. And even when I don't got like the the energy or the mojo, I get little little pieces of love and affection and little notes every Friday and it just buoys me every time and I'm very lucky I'm very 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 lucky I'm very very fortunate to be the Grey Knight and if you listen to the last podcast episode you know that's exactly where I've been trying to focus things recently and that's where I'm at so real quick on that effect let me just say um, I'm having the most tremendous amount of fun in the kitchen uh, I've been talking about this a little bit more and a little bit more publicly and and what have you, but like I keep thinking I'm in love with this spice mix or I, I like this new method of cooking or, ooh, you know, once I get this one little pan or something, everything will – but no, I think I'm just enjoying it and I don't really show much, but I want to talk a little bit about the mahi-mahi that I showed off and why I showed it off because I actually found myself – like super deeply impressive about that. So I just, you know, I was kind of just generally looking up food, like safety tips, because I never really, like I follow the food directions and everything, but, you know, I only just found out about the danger zone like two years ago or what have you when it comes to dethawing meat. And so I just thought, well, I'm going to just take a real quick looky-loo at food safety and see what I can learn real quick. And then somehow that just naturally transferred to, okay, so I'm going to make everything with vinegar. And then somehow that just kind of naturally became like, all right, so I guess I'm learning how to make salsa right now. And then after that, I was like, okay, well, now I know how to make salsa. Uh, I guess, like, I don't want to make a traditional salsa, do I? And so after that, I pulled up my grocery list and I was all like, huh, a um, bunch, uh, bunch of fucking mangoes, a uh, bunch of fucking fish are on sale. And I, I've never cooked fish in my life. True story. Never cooked fish in my life. Not a once. But I had all this information about how safe and easy it was to make salsa and how long they could stay in the fridge and all the food, like movement and pH balance and bacteria and all that kind of, like Weisseveche and kind of, you know, nigiri and that kind of shit you can eat. And I, I don't know. Instead of being in any way daunted or put off, I just got really excited. I just got really excited, and I just I put a fancy sounding fish in and the mangoes in, and um, nothing worked out with either. Uh, I'm happy to say the mahi mahi is supposed to come in like two giant fillets. It came in like four fillets that are all different sizes. I was like, okay, right off the bat, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> this is definitely gonna change everything. And then the mangoes came, and because they were on sale, so two of them were, like, super ripe and ready to go that day when that wasn't the plan, and three of them were so fucking hard that they basically had a tree branch attached to them, you know? It was really, it was like, okay, I understand that this is, this is, I asked, I asked for new things, and I got new things, so let's fucking, let's play, let's fucking play. 
And I, from that moment, I was like, okay, we'll use the ripe ones. We'll just take that meat. We'll put that in the freezer. That'll keep. And then we'll use that as the base. We'll make that as the sauce. And then uh, we'll, we'll take the unripe ones and we'll figure out how to ripen mangoes and like make a little greenhouse effect and try to get them going in time. Uh, we'll figure out the port. We're like, why am I worried about any of this? I already made the decision. The hard part was done. And then somewhere in this, somewhere in carving up the mangoes, and getting the lime out and rolling the lime and zesting the lime skin on top of the fucking fresh mangoes and juicing that and charring up the the uh, the shallots so I could put the shallots on there and grinding up and microplaning the ju- somewhere in here doing all of this without looking a thing up it kind of occurred to me wait a second wait a second this is cooking this is like really cooking this isn't just like easy bake ovening or anything. This is like actually taking information about food, acquiring the ingredients, and just kind of like, okay, well, fuck, here we go. (laughs) And then trying to make something that's edible and presentable and all the rest. That's fucking cooking. And instead of finding it intimidating or weird, it was all on sale. It was all fun. It was all really interesting. That is how I wanted to start this uh, live show. Uh, talking about how I'm cooking, how I made orange chicken from scratch today. From I literally started off this morning with rice vinegar and orange zest, and I ended up with orange chicken and rice that I ate, and everything went down real good, and I felt confident eating it before. Um, I, I want to talk about that, how just like even four months ago, I wasn't cooking at all. I was considering, I was considering a little over four and a half months ago, just getting a, another turkey pot pie for another Thanksgiving as another single dude alone, another time. Uh, and then, you know, whatever twist of fate happened brought me here. So that's less than five months has has, has brought me to this point um, and how enjoyable that is. And I just want to say that's a, that's a pretty interesting thing to keep in the context of the next nine months because that's how long we have left in 2021. Uh and I wanted to bring that up. So, real quick, it is so okay if you don't believe me, but sometimes I have to talk just a little bit about COVID, and the reason being is so simple and so selfish. I've tried it both ways. If I don't talk about it, uh, I don't sleep as well, and if I do talk about it, no matter how many people roll their eyes or like quit or whatever, I sleep pretty good. So, just real quick, in the context of me planning on sitting around and cooking and, and, and trying to evolve and, and, and get better in my own way, in that context, I just have to say real quick that that's pretty much where I think the game plan's going to be for Americans a lot more than, than my fellow countrymen think. We don't need to go into any of that or if you agree. And I think we're going to see it pretty soon. Pretty soon here. Pretty, pretty, very soon. Maybe even by the time you hear this recording on Tuesday, if you're not here. Um, but let's just say that I'm wrong, because I don't, believe it or not, I'm not really married to my own theories. I'm al- almost always trying to prove my own theories wrong. And I want to talk about that today, because for the first time uh, s- since this all started, sometime in, in, in March or January of last year, depending on, on your particular info bubble, um, I'm seeing a lot of articles about people being really nervous, really anxious, really depressed about good things happening again. So I want to kind of unpack that and real quick before we get into the show. That's where my thinking has been 
because I think a lot of people saw a number rising in a country, or they saw a ship get stuck in a canal, or they heard about a log jam, or they heard about maybe delays, and they felt relief. And they didn't feel good about the relief that they felt, but they heard, you know, they heard, oh, maybe our office isn't going to be opening as soon as they, as we heard because of COVID. People went, ah. And I'm reading a lot of headlines where people are feeling extremely anxious about going back in, uh, nervous and why. And I just wanted to assure you, let's just say that I'm wrong. COVID is solved. These vaccines are little nanobots filled with the ability to fight every virus that's ever existed and ever well. And uh, all the good stuff is happening and none of the bad stuff is real. Okay, let's just pretend for a second. And I'm willing to go along with it because, you know, you got to make plans to live one foot in front of the other either way. So let's just say that's happening. Well, one thing that I'm really happy about is I have done really well with my weight loss these last six months. Um, I've really done pretty good with my eating and my diet and all the rest. So I'm feeling very good and very excited about being out there. However, I read that a lot of people uh, have never felt more insecure about how they look than right now, be it from weight gain, be it from atrophy, be it from social awkwardness, being from not touching somebody for a long period of time. I've read that people are feeling awful about where they're at. And I've actually tried to be pretty cognizant of this um, in my boasting about myself and talking about myself because I, I come from an incredible privilege uh, to, to, to have the resources to do that. I mean, uh, I acknowledge that. Not everybody's had that in this last year. So with that in mind, if everything really does just start tuning back to normal and opening up and going full speed ahead and you feel nervous, I want you to say that that's – I just want to say to you, that's okay. You're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing bad about you. It's totally normal. We adjust to things by and large on an individual level within a few weeks or a few months at most, and that becomes our day-to-day life. We can feel restless or irritated or depressed or all kinds of negative nuanced emotions, but still feel like this is still our normal. This is our day-to-day. And in fact, I personally find the schism between those two things to be maddening if they go on for too long. How can something feel both normal and awful and encroaching at the same time? But that's exactly how our minds work. And even if you think a lot more and better things are happening, it's okay to be scared of those good and better things. There's a lot of talk about, oh, I'm scared it'll be good and better and they'll get all taken away. Yeah, maybe, but that's life. Sorry. I'm not here to I'm not here to help you with that one. At any time, right after something good happens to you, someone can just come up and just hammer you in the back of the head, baby. I don't know why you didn't all learn this lesson when you were five years old playing Super Mario Brothers that you can get the mushroom and then you can die two seconds later. It don't fucking matter, baby. That's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, but but that's just life, and I'm not here to try and talk you out of that one. I'm here to tell, try and say is you're actively nervous about what people are going to look at my body, and I don't want that. I like the office, and I like going back, but my relation to my job has changed now, and I don't want the office to be open. I like those people. I like my time. I don't want to do that now. I've changed. Something that you think is good or right or a sign of progress and you don't like that, that's okay. You're okay. 
you've adjusted, you've changed, you've evolved. Maybe once you get back into it, everything will feel all right. Maybe it won't. I'm not here to tell you your business. I'm here to tell you that your faculties and your mechanics, there's nothing broken. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm seeing so many headlines about my body, my job, my relationship. I I don't know if any of these things are the same, and I feel bad or guilty. Well, I'm here to tell you that the last part of that's the only part of that that's not doing you any good. A lot of this is probably just anxiety, frankly. A lot of this is probably just in your head. A lot of this is just being rusty, and it'll come off so quick and so easy, and you will feel better the moment that you forgive someone else for being awkward. Or having gained a couple of pounds, or, 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 and you will. You'll earnestly forgive them as soon as you see them. Because it's no sin. Because it's nothing crime. It's only a crime when you do it. Not when anybody else does it. Trust me, I've fought these demons for a long time. That's why I'm here to tell you about the fight that you're about to have and how to try and win it. And when you do that, you'll feel better. I really do believe for most of you, for most all of it, but any kind of negative harboring feeling that you have, any kind of foreboding feeling, natural, okay. Process it on your own. Take your time. Maybe getting back out there that first week will be easy. Maybe it'll be like swimming underwater with lead weights on. Don't know. You'll know. But either way, I say it's going to get better for you. And either way, whatever insecurities or doubts or fears that you have about yourself or the future, I promise you they're not as bad as you think. A lot of people have them, and if you show yourself any kind of graciousness, if you give any kind of warmth out there, if you show any kind of patience with these insecurities, these doubts, and any of it, other people will roll right along with it. They have them too in their own ways. If they don't have yours, they have theirs. If they don't have any of those insecurities or concerns, they're thinking about something else. I promise, I promise, I promise, you're doing just fine. That being said, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. COVID's so much more serious than you think. Why does it keep surprising people? What the hell? You're all wrong. Okay. Love you all very much. Okay. <clears throat> ah, that felt good. That felt good. All right. Ah, have you ever, ladies, been carrying just a massive load? And even though your partner was willing, inviting you in, and was wet as hell, you just, maybe you went in just a little too cowboy, and you got stuck. Because my people at the Suez Canal know what I'm fucking talking about right now. Sometimes... It's been a long time since you've been in a channel and you get that all clear and you drive a little too fast in. Then all of a sudden you hit that bank and oh, 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 that wasn't as wide as I thought. And then, and then because it wasn't as wide as you thought, you actually just made it a lot more narrow for, for a brief minute there. Whoa, you got a fright. Oh, nobody move, nobody move, nobody move. You ever been there? Ladies, ladies. Uh, this is, I have to admit, every once in a while, Daddy has a fun story. There was an adult cartoon, uh, by which I don't mean, like, animated penises. I mean, just wasn't meant for kids, because there was a designation back then. It only lasted for one season. It was called Mission Hill, and one of my favorite episodes of that fucking cartoon is, like, there's a big media event, 
and we don't know what it is. It's the audience, but literally none of the characters can stop talking about it all day. Like, can you believe? And then the helicopters came. I know. And everyone's talking about like this huge news event that nobody, <laughs> we don't get to know what it is, but everybody's talking about the whole way through and somebody calls it, oh, that's just an adult snow day. Sometimes the media just decides that the adults need a snow day, and then everybody's going to talk about something for one day, and then you have to get back to being an adult tomorrow. It's just an adult snow day. Don't worry about it. Uh, the Suez Canal is the greatest adult snow day of the last couple of years for Daddy. Daddy's like all COVID all the time. Daddy's like all COVID all the fucking time since January of 2020. He just can't turn it off and everything's COVID. And like, he'll see a headline and be like, moratorium. Like, okay, if you send people out of the way, that leads to an 8% increase of COVID. <laughs> right? Just everything is COVID. Just everything COVID all the time. Uh, and then 15 months into that fucking just nightmare spiral of doom, out in the distance, I hear, and it's the most beautiful noise I've ever fucking heard in my goddamn life. Ah, for hours and hours and hours, I got to ask the dumbest questions, learning about things for on day one, reading a headline and not knowing any context or any. I come from a fucking, I come from a mountain in the middle of a desert. The fuck I know about maritime disaster. The fuck I know about maritime demolition, maritime disaster, shipping lanes, global trap. What do I know? Nothing. Nothing! I hit the start from square one and just go into the internet comment section like all oh, the dumb fucks I run into when I talk about COVID and be all like, Why can't they blow the boat up? Why don't they add more water? Why don't they dig around it? <laughs> Can you push the boat? Can you pull the boat? Can you push and pull the boat at the same time in different directions? Can you push and pull the boat with explosions? <laughs> Can you... Can you explode the ocean so that more water goes into the channel? <laughs> for, for, uh, the entire the entire time of this story the f whole five six hours it was a developing story were just uh, five or six amazing like i never felt more like i was in a jimmy buffett video in my life i don't know just just the relief of the worst problem in the world being that a ship turns sideways the worst, most horrible thing in my reality for a couple hours was a boat went the wrong direction. <laughs> Here's how you know it's a huge fuck-up, too. Like, a huge fuck-up. I've read six different articles on not if the boat fucked up or details about the boat fucking up i've read six different articles on 
How did the boat fuck up? <laughs> six different articles from six different sources, one of which quoted, and I absolutely have to get this in verbatim, a maritime disaster historian. <laughs> which is the greatest way that I've ever heard someone call themselves a dickwad who knows a shit ton about shipwrecks. <laughs> A maritime disaster historian! Oh my god, am I using that one? I guess that one's making me a historian of your sister's pussy juices. Mm. I am but a humble curator of the women in your lives. Humble pussy stank, sir. I am but here to relate my academic enclade. <laughs> so the maritime... Disaster historian quoted in an article when, and I mean, this is how you know. This is what I, this is not the first one of these articles I've read trying just to figure out what the fuck happened. And the maritime disaster historian was quoted in this article saying, "Uh oh, that's a mistake." So I don't, I don't really, I, I, you know, when I first started this article, I'm like, I'm going to learn a lot because a boat turns sideways. And then what I, what I've learned several days on is it's not good when boats turn sideways. Guys, when you dig a little river through land and you call that a canal, oh, you don't want, you don't want a boat to go the wrong way through that. Every time it's happened, it's been bad. We know we found a historian. And not once when a boat turned sideways in a canal was anybody applauding. Nobody was ever happy with the result. Thank you, Maritime Disaster Historian. So, there you go. There's a story. That's kind of what I wish COVID was and, like, what vaccines were. Because uh, I kind of that's kind of what I feel like people think reading about COVID vaccines are. Is they'll just, like, they'll read a story and be like, Israel has vaccines and now no one's sick. It's like, got it! Got it! <laughs> and then that's it. And we're done. Uh, but, like, even the boat turned sideways. Like, I was asking all the questions, like, what do you do? Because my questions are, like, unfortunately, always COVID-related. Because uh, you block a, apparently a busy shipping channel. Guess what? Shit goes sideways. So here's something that you might not know. The New York Times did a major article about two weeks before the boat turned the wrong direction. And it was all just about, like, how the global shipping industry is insane. If you've got a man in your life who's complaining about a PS5, believe it or not, it has a lot to do with, like, the price of grain and shit uh, and how backed up ports are and have been around the world, uh, especially very busy ports like L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, I guess I'll try and see some interest. I'll, I'll link to it. It's a very long article. It's got four or five authors. It quotes... Uh, it goes all around the world. It quotes all these. And one of the most interesting uh, tidbits to me about how crazy shipping and shipping standards are right now is in L.A. port, one of the top five ports uh, in the world for, for volume. Uh, shipping containers are going for such a premium in Asia. Okay? Just, just I need to get this just in your head. In L.A., shipping containers... Shipping containers, empty metal boxes that go across the ocean, are fetching such a premium in Asia that people, as soon as they can unload their product, 
on the dock in L.A., immediately, instead of trying to put something back in the container, get the empty containers on board and drive home towards Asia as fast as fucking possible. Not because they want the containers, but because the price and the value it would cost to to spend to take that to 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 take the dock workers and put cargo in the containers is not worth the value of the extra time they save by just saying fuck it it's a one way trip everybody back on the boat let's go that's pre Suez canal that's 2 weeks ago these are professional logistics co- this isn't like you or me like not wanting to sit around and figure out an offload this is professional logistics companies that by the time you know, because it takes weeks and months, depending on the route, to get a big, you know, big, big one of these ships from, from one port to another. By the time this contract is completed, the next lucrative contract back in Asia, back across the goddamn ocean, is so good, we don't want to spend either an- even another 36 hours here in L.A. After we've waited weeks, p- potentially, in line, off-coast, to unload, the second we can... And even if that gets stolen or whatever, as soon as we can dump it, because that's the legal obligation, is dump it at the port. As soon as we can feel our basement minimal legal obligation, we're off. Because that's how much Sony, or that's how much this company in China wants to pay us to ship ventilate. That's how much they you buy space in the space containers, right? And that's how you that's how you form a shipping contract. And so every Every time they make it so far in 2021, uh, or uh, the last couple of shipments, every time they've made it to a big port, the empty space is worth more than the fucking cargo unless the cargo is something crazily valued, like private plane parts or computer chips or medical equipment. But if it's like grains of sack, they don't, or sacks of grain, they don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. And this was pre-Suez Canal. So I already read all that before the Suez Canal, and so I had to read, like, all the stuff that's going to happen because of the Suez Canal and blocking that stuff up. And you can hear the excitement in my voice. It's so much fun to learn about stuff like this instead of COVID. Uh, This is the kind of nerd that I want to be, and as soon as we get out of the apocalypse, it's the kind of nerd I'm going to go right back to. Uh, Allie misses the days, probably, where I'd be in her inbox and be all like, Hey, did you know about the Peloponnesian bisexual gods and the rituals that would, you know, like that's, I've missed that guy too, guys. I miss him too. (laughs) Hey, did you, hey Allie, do you ever consider the origin of all human language? Because I've been thinking about it for the last couple of days and, you know, I miss that guy. I miss him. I do. He's a pretty cool dude sometimes. But there's more stuff going on. So, basically, what everything I've learned on accident through COVID about global logistics and medicine and all that kind of thing is... Like, I don't want to sum it up too much, but uh, just before I get into the poetry, like I said, this is this is what I've, done. I've been reading the last couple of days. Uh, I want to give you my knowledge and what I think... Uh, this leads to, because I guess a lot of people do want that, especially after I ramble on and on about a subject. So uh, everything I've read, the New York Times article, the logistics, the medicine, the the, the chip shortage, everything that I've been reading about it, uh, my official, official opinion about what this is, is uh, if a cargo ship turns sideways in a canal, that's bad. And because things move by boat a lot, It'll take longer for them to get here. And that's bad too. So there you go. 
You didn't have to read 25 articles of over a thousand words each to get to that conclusion. I just gave it to you. There you are. I don't, I don't think you would have known that on your own, would you? If you had spent, uh, spent hours and hours and hours reading and asking questions, would you have known that? I don't think so. No. I think only me and my penis could have gotten here. Uh, it's only me and my incredible mind and dick that could possibly have gotten to the conclusion of if a ship the size of the Empire State Building wedges itself into one of the most valuable pieces of water real estate in the world while everything was already ass-backwards, things will actually get a little bit more ass-backwards-er. That's only me. That's only me! Who else? What other mind? What great genius? I'd like to see him try. (sighs) There you go. That's, 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 uh, that's what I've learned. Um, gosh, I learned how to make salsa this week. And then I made salsa. Mango salsa. Uh, so I definitely need help with this one, though. If there's any, like, licensed dietitians out there, if you actually have a degree in nutrition, uh, before I do get into the poetry real quick. I am actually allowed to eat butter, right? (laughs) Because I've done a lot of reading about this one. And, like, I'm pretty sure, like, butter doesn't kill you if you eat it, right? Like, (laughs) if you've cut out the sugar and you cut out the salt and you largely cut out all the other stuff, you could eat the shit out of butter, right? Because if not... I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die, and this is, and this is me, and this is me telling you that I'm gonna die. You're gonna. This is like you're gonna have to really look this out. I have developed an addiction, and my addiction is fucking butter. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what happened somewhere in here. A lot of you started complimenting my voice and saying how good I sounded. Uh, Somewhere around there, Tongue 2 became Tongue 2.5 or something. And I I just kind of like got fancy butter because it was super on sale. It was on sale for less than normal butter. It's the only reason I got it. And so I got fancy butter because it was on sale. And this is quite possibly the most horrible mistake I've ever made in my life, apparently. Because ever since then, I just, I don't think you understand. It's just, it never stops. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to fry that with butter. Oh, I'll just put butter in the crock pot and then I'll, oh, I'll just, yeah, anyway. So now I'm at a point where in my fridge right now are two Tupperware containers. I've got two Tupperware containers in my fridge. And in one of them, is ghee, just pure fucking ghee that I've just made out of the fancy butter. And the other one has charred, uh, because I just love the recipe so much, charred shallots and baked scallions combined into a clarified butter. And I make a big thing of that every fucking week. And I got to make a big thing of that every week because I use that to now cook steaks, to now cook my poultry. I now use that that delicious, incredible herb butter, triple herb butter, to like make like all kinds of stuff, like cheddar biscuits and what have you. Oh my god! So 
I'm eating hundreds of grams of butter a week, guys. Is that okay? Am I gonna fucking die? I'm talking about, like, literally two, three hundred grams of butter a week. Am I, is that acceptable? You're gonna have to tell me if not. You, you have to stop me. Cause I, I want it. Oh my god. Butter plus cayenne pepper. Butter plus chili pepper. Butter plus habanero. Butter plus, uh, butter plus ginger. Butter plus, uh, shallot. Butter plus, ha. They're all so good. They're all so good. I've been having so much fun with it. I really have. So I don't want to brag or talk too much because I'm definitely begging you all for money. Like, oh, by the way, thanks for the commissions, guys. They're all going out and everything on time and everything, and like eight people got one. I'm finally on top of that game. Nobody took advantage. I did a sale and everything. Anyway, I'm just going to say that because now I can't buy with your food. I'm going to. So everything I'm about to say that I bought, I bought on sale, and everything I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy on sale. So here it is. That's the truth. Um, because America is quickly falling into a land where nobody has any free money or too much, just one, there's just none of the other in between, apparently. Uh, the service that I use that sends groceries and meat to your front door is always running a sale on something crazy. And so I, I actually caught, I could not fucking believe this shit. And I ate it too quick, but I made it with the fucking clarified butter, the clarified herb butter. But they actually sent me two fucking pounds of crab legs, like actual crab legs, not claws and shit. Two pounds of crab legs to my door for fucking $14. (laughs) Plus a T-bone steak for six bucks. (laughs) Do you know what the cost? Because I tip. Do you know what the cost of me getting a fucking Pizza Hut pizza delivered to my door is? Do you know what the minimum, the minimum cost of getting a pizza delivered to my fucking door is? <laughs> 25 fucking bucks. <laughs> and I saw that crab leg steak combo and $5 off if I wanted to run and get my own beer. I couldn't stop fucking laughing. I could. I was like, what has happened that I am now an adult? And then I like, I fucking cooked the crab legs up and then I had the butter that was already all herbed up and then I just dunked that them bitches in there. I'm like, this is, this is so good. This is so easy. I didn't take any pictures because I didn't want to sound as bougie as I guess I am because I mean what the fuck man but like that's that's uh that's getting into cooking for you uh let's go step by step by step there was a period of my life where I'd be like ah crab legs I don't know they're kind of expensive and I don't really know what to do with them how do I make a side uh and I mean that time in my life could have been as recently as five fucking months ago and instead now I see uh now I see, you know, Mahi Mahi on sale for fucking 60% off. Guess what? Guess what I'm going to try that day then? Uh, you know? Give me them ugly carrots. Give me, give me. Apparently I'm a shallotaholic. Uh, and I didn't even know. And I only started eating them because one day they were fucking, fucking less than 20 cents per. And I said, load me up. Let's go. <clears throat> so, uh... That's the end of the dismount. I'm going to get into the poetry and the things that you requested. Trying to trying to keep the show and the vibe along. Uh, this is Daddy saying, from the bottom of my heart, 
it's okay if you're nervous or you're excited or whatever about the future. And also, if things should suddenly get like real worse, like if suddenly there should be a lot of headlines where you're like, that's kind of scary. I don't like that. I wonder if those kinds of headlines are going to stick around for a while. I just wanted to give the personal note of my cooking and the joy that I'm having and to kind of use it as a personal example of, yeah, things can get scary and sometimes crazy people can be overly focused on a situation. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're obsessing. Maybe you're actually focusing on something that's a real issue. And unfortunately, when an event is ongoing, there's no way to know until it's over. And even then, big old shrug. So the anxiety or the doubts or whatever you're feeling, I just want to assure you, you're enough, you're human, you're normal, don't feel guilty for the pleasures you take, don't feel shame for the, for the bad and negative emotions that you have, and if things are working out okay for you or good for you in some way, celebrate it and find people who do, because even in hard times, you absolutely deserve all that. Don't be afraid. If things get worse like I think that they are, it's still the same fundamentals. It's still going to be the good parts of you uh, that you nourish that get you through. With me, I've, I've, I've tried to show you a little bit. With you, why don't you tell me? Why don't you show me what you're doing, what your projects are, not just starting bread and what have you. I believe in you more than that. So let's all hope that Daddy's wrong. But if he's not, uh, there you go. There's a little benediction. There's a B word that I couldn't remember. There's a little benediction. Uh, for for your own spirit and soul and how to feed it. Okay. <clears throat> we have requests. Boy, that was weird. That was like a... It was like the tone that you do at the end of a TV show or something to signify that the next TV show is about to start. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, is that why they do that on NBC? I've always wondered why those three notes came into play. <clears throat> Okay, we're, we're, we're starting off, apparently. Uh, <laughs> we're starting off with a fun one. Let's see how many of these words I stumble upon. <clears throat> Having finally dined with the aerialist, I found him just a college gymnast. Fresh-pressed East Coast boy dismissed from frosty Dartmouth, Dartmouth February last. Distinguished just by his wish to kiss, the topmost stripe of the circus tent sniff. Sugar mixed with sawdust, trodden glass, and seek, and chalky hand of the only candelabra girl. <clears throat> let me lift my glass and drink to the quirk. That's let him fly, slick in tights and lycra, nightly through the gods. I shall crick my neck to see him spin his new wife high above me, her roped mouth, her spotlit nose, and candles in her fingers, candles in her toes. <laughs> uh, the Aerialist by Kate Clanchy. Okay, if he was just a boy from Dartmouth, why the fuck do you care? <clears throat> just saying. Why does it mean if every night for a week you dream that you are Batgirl, flying around the roofs of malls with Batman and Robin, and you can't decide which one you like best? 
It would have to be Batman, really, because he gets more respect. But then again, just how old is he under that mask if the series is into reruns? You flip between the two of them, admiring the legs, wondering if Batman wears a corset, and asking yourself if you should be wary of a man who still lives in a cave. What about sex? When it was over, would he just leave you hanging, upside down? Batgirl by Shazaya Quisari. Ooh, I'm going to try a second time on that last name. Kura Ishi. Kura Ishi. <clears throat> Please, can I have a man who wears corduroy? Please, can I have a man who knows the names of one hundred different roses, who doesn't mind my absent-minded rabbits wandering in and out as if they own the place, who makes me creamy curries from fresh lemongrass, who walks like Belmado in a boot de souffle, <laughs> who sticks all the carefully selected postcards sent from exotic cities he doesn't expect us to come to, but would, if I asked which I well do, which nobody else's up his bedroom wall, starting with Ivy, the famous diving pig, whose picture and action I bought ten copies of, who talks like Belmondo, too, with lips as smooth and tightly packed as chocolate-coated melting chocolate peony buds, who knows that piling himself drunkenly on top of me like a duvet stuffed with library books and shopping bags is very easy. Please, can I have a man who is not prepared to do that, who is not prepared to say I'm pretty either, who, when I come trotting in from the bathroom like a squealing, fresh-scrubbed piglet that likes nothing better than a binge of being affectionate and undisciplined, uncomplicated, opens his arms like a trowel for me to dive into? Please, can I have a man? Selmia Hill. That was a fun one. <clears throat> Long before we tie the knot, divorce moves in. He sits on the knotty step, patting his knees. Crowned in towel, I step out of the shower, and he's there, handing me a raffle ticket. He plays kick around with the neighborhood kids, chucks crosses to their doors and buys them Big Macs, socking his fist into the bowl of his hat, kicking the gate wide, the sunny day in Leeds. My mom was incredulous. She's only ten. She can't possibly have made contact with you. He clocked my young face and handed me his card. Call me when you fall in love. I'm here to help. Perhaps he smelt something in my pheromones, a cynicism rising from my milk teeth. With gum he stuck notes on Valentine's flowers, tiny life letters in factual gray ink. The future cut two keys for a new couple on my twenty-first divorce, took the spare room. He loves to breathe down the spout of the kettle, makes our morning coffee taste mature and sad. He waits by the car, slowly tapping tic-tacs down his throat. We've thought about stabbing him, but he's such a talented calligrapher. Our wedding invitations look posh as pearls. He bought us this novelty fridge magnet set, a naked doll with stick-on wedding dresses, 
Divorce and I sometimes sit in the kitchen chuckling old magnetic outfits at the fridge. He does the cooking, guarding over the soup, dipping his ladle like a spectral butler. He picks up me up daisies, makes me mixtapes, whispers, call me D. The next thing, he'll be lifting the veil. After the honeymoon, we'll do up the loft, give divorce his own studio apartment. We must keep him sweet, my fiancé agrees. Look him in the eyes, subtly hide matches. Remember, we have an arsonist in the house. The neighbors think we're crazy, pampering him like a treasured child, warming his freezing feet. But we sing to divorce to sleep with long love songs. A Love Song, Caroline Bird I always felt you were too good for me. You slayed my nightmares, dragons lightly. When you did not turn to gaze on me, I told myself you were Orpheus, showing self-restraint. Yet still, it hurt, for I wanted you to want me stupidly. I would gladly have fallen into hell for a hungry glance off you. But I was nothing, easily injured and unworthy, so I created my own mythology to be your equal. Fairy tales grew in dark forests on my tongue, and you listened, enchanted, as I encrusted myself with rubies and bravery. It was easy. I am good at telling stories. I told you I could call up storms of butterflies and violets. I told you twelve princes were pursuing me and performing dangerous tasks to win my hand. I told you I rose from death seven times and, laughing, flicked the gold flames of my hair into the face of my killers. I told you I loved you enough to bear crows pecking my eyes and enough to stick an asp in my bra. I slayed your love easily, a clumsy mortal accident. You cowered at my majesty. The thought of those ragged bodies lapping over the rocks, <laughs> I'm ironic, when my magic is clearly not as potent as yours. My story has convinced you, like the words of a prophet, you say you are not perfect like I think you are. You say I am angel pure and your hands would tear my wings. You say you do not deserve oceans of white roses. You say you do not deserve rooms full of sunbeams. They blind you as thorns do. I am much too much brightness. Besides, if you gave me the kiss, the kiss of your true love, it would not awaken me, and no one would change shape. You would be an anticlimax. You would disappoint. It's my own fault. I was my own genesis. Now I must pay a price greater than that to always hold the sky up. I must watch you retreat from me, dropping to crumb trail. Watch you leave me without thread in this labyrinth I made. I tell you that I lied, but you no longer believe me. I will always be a giddy goddess to you. A mermaid longing for legs that will only bring varicose veins when she should be plucking pearls out of the seabed. 
I shout no. I am only a stupid, stupid girl. I love you for your flaws. They are what make you perfect. You shake your head. You tell me that in every myth there's a grain of truth. Mythology, Claire Pollard. No, really? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Sorry, I thought something horrible happened. <laughs> it did. Oh, no. Okay. <clears throat> So, a funny thing, uh, before I continue on with the poetry, I just lost my place real quick. Uh, it, like, if sometimes if you publicly talk, like, you know, if people think you're famous, which I'm not, and you talk a little bit publicly about, like, an actual famous person, like, if their death affected you, like Tom Petty or something, like, people will send you messages when other famous people die. Um, and I think they probably mean it in very good ways and very good spirits, but, like, you know, it's a bit, a bit assumptuous to know, you know, what somebody means to somebody or not. Well, I guess I've done a fair bit talking about H. John Benjamin and Archer because a lot of people sent me a thing about Jessica Walters dying. Uh, like, that would affect me. Uh, it did not. Uh, it's just one of those funny things. People have the, the, you know, they have good intentions, I think. Something gets into people's head where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard this guy be sad about something he talked about and showing that person dying, but he's sad about this, too. It's like, no, <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. No, and in fact, with celebrities especially, it's the strangest thing because they either don't affect me at all or way too much, and I never know which it's going to be. So I guess thank you to everybody who ever thinks, uh-oh. Did I freeze? Whoever thinks about uh, me, about times like that and that sort of thing, just know that I, I do appreciate it. I do think it's kind of nice. Uh, all right. Uh, sorry for that. This is, you get to understand what my life's like as soon as the, the screen goes away. Bring back the fucking boat. All right. Long may the boat be wedged in the canal and it keeps all the thoughts out. <laughs> oh, my God. The ever given is a metaphor for alcohol. <gasps> I can use this. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I, I love it when I Richard Dreyfus with the mashed potatoes. Wait a minute. This means something. <sighs> One more time. Wait a minute. This means something. Okay. That's my Dreyfus. And he was like a great actor, too. Like, sincerely. Great actor. Just that voice. It's so distinct. All right. <clears throat> the neighbors hammered on the walls all night. Outraged by the noise we made in bed, we still have to keep it until first light. We said everything that could be said. Oh, no, I have to stop there. I'm so sorry. We'll put the poem last, and we'll read that after we read the other poems. Because I can feel a little snarky-warky farming. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Out of your whole life, but give me one moment. All of your love that has been gone before. 
all to come after it, so you ignore. So you make perfect the present and condense in a rapture of rage for perfection's endowment. Thought and feeling and soul, and since merged in a moment which gives me at last, you around me for once, you beneath me, above me, me, sure that despite of time future, time past, this tick of our lifetime's one moment, you love me. How long should such suspension may linger, ah, sweet, the moment eternal, just that and no more, when ecstasy's utmost we clutch at the core, while cheeks burn, arms open, eyes shut, and lips met. Now, Robert Browning, Whenever a rhyme scheme doesn't have a modern American thing, my dyslexic ass just has no idea what to do with it. It's like toggling off a mini-map in a Bethesda game. Uh, sure, I can have a good time, but you are not going to like the route that I take if you want to be efficient. <clears throat> when I kiss you in all the folding places of your body, you make that noise like a dog dreaming. Dreaming of the long run he makes in answer to some jolt of his hormones. Running across landfills. Running, running by tips and shorelines from the scent of too much, but still going with head up, snout in the air, because he loves it all and has to get away. I have to kiss deeper and more slowly your neck, your inner arm, your neat caresses of your toes, the shadow behind your knees, the white angles of your groin until you fall quiet because only then can I get the damn words to come to my mouth. Muse Joe Shapcott crazy. That one's very intense. All right, we're going to start this one again, and then author's note after we get done. The, <clears throat> the name was hammered on the walls all night, outraged by the noise we made in bed. Still, we kept at it until first light. We said everything that could be said. All right, author's note. <laughs> How are you going to say every word one night? How many words do you think there are? No, I'm asking you, asshole, because you're apparently a professional writer, as am I. And you decided to lay this gauntlet down. So I'm going to ask you how many words you know. What's the number? What? You can't count how many words you know? You just know you said them all? Okay. How long did it take you to say every word? How long did it take you to say everything? There's a, I, have a real, I have a real issue with this one. I do. From a young age, I'm very sensitive about this one. Because there was a song that would play. It was very popular. And the chorus went a little something like this. Ready? The words of Harry are necessary. Okay. And from a young age, I knew that that was my enemy. 
I'm like, I'm sorry, what did that asshole just choose to say? What did that asshole just use to say out loud? What did that asshole just say? Excuse me. Did anyone cross-check this? Is anyone paying attention? <laughs> did you just say that saying words wasn't going to evoke the things that you... Did you just choose to say that saying things couldn't work for you? Did you just, in a moment of artistic expression, choose to use words to say that saying words wouldn't allow you artistic expression? Sir. Sir. I don't know what kind of Zen Cohen this is, because I'm young and I don't know what either of those words even means at this point in my life. But I know that this must be fucking one of them. What are you on about, asshole? He might as well have just been singing to, like, seven-year-old me, like, something that would have gotten me, like, to lean in, be like, really? He could have, like, the line before, he might as well have been like, Pirates, ninjas, vampires, dragons. Okay. And, like, I'm like, okay, seven-year-old me is definitely paying attention. What do you got for me now? What are we doing at this point? None of these things exist. What? Listen, what? Did you just... Did you bring me here just to fuck? Did you put all that in my head just to tell me that none of it mattered? Asshole. What the fuck? <laughs> when, when, a, when a person who's a professional... Do you understand how few people are professional word makers? <laughs> Whatever form that takes be it singy-songy or, or tippy-tappy on a keyboard or whatever. Do you understand? There's not a lot of us. There's not a lot. And so when one of us turns against our own kind that hard, I don't know what to do. It just always kind of, it just, it rankles me. When a writer's like, no words could ever convey. None of your words, asshole. None of yours. Don't, he doesn't speak for us. Excuse me. Excuse me. I don't know. Can someone check his credentials? That... That professional writer just said that they can't professionally write. That's the exact opposite of what we do. We say that we're professional writers from the moment that we can fucking bullshit someone. We try and tell people at age 14 online that we've got a movie deal. Are you I don't think this guy's sincere. Look at him out of here. No? I went on, the, I went on that one too long? All right. God damn it. Alright, that's poetry for the night. I'm in too good of a mood, apparently, and I'm definitely talking. That's for all the writers. That's for everybody who's seen the movie Barton Fink. Uh, that bit, the last two, three minutes, was for everybody who's uh, more in love with writing than genitals, uh, seafood, uh, adoration. Anybody who loves the write written word more, more than, like, the pleasures or the things of this earth. That that's who that bit was for, i.e. me. Me. I took Mitch Hurwitz's advice. I made me laugh. Nobody else did. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> We've got some love letters. Hopefully these love letters will be to something besides incredible rank egotism uh, and confections. Let's see. Oh, I hope eventually someone, don't do this next week or nothing if you've got the idea. If any of you ever comes across the love letter that someone wrote to like crab cakes or something you you file that in okay you bring that to daddy he needs to read that to the girls okay that'll help some people <clears throat> go placidly 
among the noise and haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly, and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant. They, too, have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter, for always there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself. Especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the fates of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly to the counsel of your years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth, nature, strength, of spirit, and shield you in sudden misfortune. But do not distress yourself for the dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You are a child of the universe no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive Him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul with all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams. It is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. Max Ehrman, from 1927, just about a century ago, and without a few, without a few words uh, being altered there, you wouldn't know it was any uh, different than somebody talking to you today. Boy, maybe I should have read that at the start instead of going on about butter and ordering in cheap uh, cuts of meat. Uh, that was lovely, whoever suggested that. I don't know who Max Ehrman is, not by name at least, I don't think, not ringing any bells. Uh, that was very nice. I just, I just happened to come across something from my youth called, um, well, I'll be real honest with you, a lot of people are like, oh, you're moving towards middle age. Yeah, 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 in another decade I am, because I'm going to live to at least a hundred, you assholes. Do you not hear me, how I eat breakfast with the oatmeal? Fuck you. So I'm still in my youth, so, you know, just keep that fucking mind, you know, before you hit my DM box up. Uh, but earlier in my youth, uh, while, I w while I was there, uh, I ran into a song called Everyone's Free to Wear Sunscreen, and it's, it's a lot of advice that's kind of strung together. Uh, and so... It, that, this kind of reminded me of that in the same way. It's a lot of little pieces of advice run together in a very rhythmic way. This was nice. That was very nice. Thank you to whoever suggested that. That was well-timed, and thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Today, 
I am thinking about what we leave behind. In the store, on all the bath mats, someone has drawn a heart or left a handprint. In the pin aisle, each page of the test paper is covered in names and little drawings and fuck COVID over and over again. Hello, hello, hi, hello, hello, hi, hello. On the street, I live three houses from perfect hopscotch lanes, perfectly transcribed with rulers and everything. Jump here, do a spin. Graffiti on a deer on the side of a building, name scrawled into settling concrete, initials carved into park bench seats. In the bathroom, in silver sharpie, I hope you're okay out there. I love you. You're beautiful. Keep trying. Geocache tubes of trinkets. Jackets left off in case somebody needs it. A note on my windshield. Closed your door. It was a little open. Have a great day. Stay safe. My friends and I, fully grown adults, build a sandcastle on the edge of the ocean, inside of returned school books, inside of little secret pockets. Hi. Hello. 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 Hi. What a beautiful calling. You and I are in different times, and we will never meet. But here is a greeting I'd owe you. If you never get to see this person, what do you say? Hello. I love you. Be good out there. Stay safe. Untitled. Raquel Isabella de Eldorate. Eldorate. Raquel Isabella del Urte. Oh! I always get just a little bit wrong. <clears throat> we cannot live except thus mutually. We alternate, aware or unaware. The reflex act of life and when we bear our virtue onward most impulsively. Most full of invocation, and to be most instantly compellent, certs there, we live most life, whom breathes most air, and counts his dying years by sun and sea, but when a soul by choice and conscience doth throw out her full force on another soul, the conscience and the concentration both make mere life, love. For life in perfect whole and aim consummate is love in sooth, and nature's magnet heat rounds pole with pole. Love by Elizabeth Barrett Browning, because I slipped a poem in the middle of, You got love letters in my poetry. You got poetry in my love letters. <clears throat> okay. My... Dearest girl, I have been a walk this morning with a book in my hand, but as usual I have been occupied with nothing but you. I wish I could say in agreeable manner I am tormented day and night. They talk of my going to Italy, to certain I shall never recover, if I am to be so long separate from you. Yet with all this devotion to you I cannot persuade myself into any confidence of you. You are to me an object intensely desirable. The air I breathe in a room empty of you is unhealthy. I am not the same to you. No, you can wait. You have a thousand activities. You can be happy without me. Any party, anything to fill up the day is but enough. How have you passed this month? Who have you smiled with? All this may seem savage in me. 
You do not feel as I do. You do not know what it is to love. One day you may. Your time is not come. I cannot live without you, and not only you, but chaste you, virtuous you. The sun rises and sets, and the day passes, and you follow, bent on your inclination to a certain extent. You have no conception of the quantity of misery feeling that passes through me in a day. Be serious. Love is not a plaything. And again, do not write unless you can do it with a crystal conscience. I would sooner die for want of you than yours forever. Letter from John Keats to Fanny Vaughan. <clears throat> I have but one thought, Susie, this afternoon of June, and that of you and I have one prayer only. Dear Susie, that is for you. That you and I, in hand, as even do in heart, might ramble away as children among the woods and fields and forget these many years and these sorrowing cares and each become a child again. I would it were so, Susie, and when I look around me and find myself alone, I sigh for you again, little sigh, vain sigh, which will not bring you home. I need you more and more. The great world grows wider, the dear ones fewer and fewer, every day that you stay away. I miss my biggest heart. My own goes wandering round in coals for Susie. Friends are too dear for Sunder. Oh, they are far too few, and how soon they will go away, where you and I cannot find them. Don't let us forget these things, for their remembrance now will save us many an anguish when it is too late to love them. Susie, forgive me, darling. For every word I say, my heart is full of you, and none other than you is in my thoughts. And when I seek to say something to you, something not for this world, words fail me. If I were here, and oh that you were, my Susie, we need not talk at all. Our eyes would whisper for us, and your hand fast in mine. We would ask for language. I'd try to bring you near. I'd chase the weeks till they are quite departed, and fancy you have come, and I am on my way through the green lane to meet you, and my heart goes scampering so that I have much ado to bring it back again and learn it to be patient till that dear Susie comes. I shall grow more and more impatient until that day comes. Till now, I have only mourned for you. Now, I begin to hope for you. Emily Dickinson to Susan Gilbert. Oh my goodness, can you believe that you are so fortunate to be getting all of this talent, all of this great, all of this oratory skill, all in one package? Yes, indeed. Daddy's a very lucky boy to be getting all of this, but aren't you such lovely, 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 lucky ladies? Hope you're having a lovely time. We have a little bit of porn. I'm trying to figure out which porn is which. Oh, no! No! Oh, fuck. Just the two names at the start of that one.
Ah, uh, well, I think I, uh, I think I found the, uh, I think I found the joke porn. I think I found the joke porn. Pretty sure, Captain. <laughs> All right, let's see the other one. Oh boy, this one doesn't seem like it's gonna buckle in, kiddos. Fucking tip, daddy. Here we go. Ah. <clears throat> uh. Hold on, I gotta crack my neck harder than that, otherwise I'll moan so loud that I'll fucking put a rotator cuff or something. I'm giving We really we're gonna have to like really work this shit. Here we go. <clears throat> Here we fucking This is the brass ring. It was Valentine's Day, 1820, and Emily had been married for just over six weeks. There is more information in that sentence than Nicholas Sparks puts in entire fucking novels. <sighs> There's more character development there than entire fucking books of his. <sighs> Those weeks since her arranged marriage, arranged in order to save her family estate from ruin, had passed. This is not the, this is not the joke one. This is the serious one. Had passed in a whirlwind of activity, tears and luncheons, plays and operas, and of course, balls. Uh, living in London was... <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny, but... And of course, balls. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Living in London was proving to be by far... The... I'm, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm going to be able to ace this serious one. Consider it loosening up for the less serious than this one. One far more entertaining than she had ever imagined, but missed her family terribly. Mister Rossi's home, while impressive, was lonely. Ah, oh, the carpets were lush. <laughs> I'm twelve. Ah, oh, the carpets were lush, and the drapes matched them, and the drapes were made of rich fabric. The windows were so clean that they were practically invisible. Fireplaces added warmth, unlike the ones that she was used to, I guess, making every form of parlor cozy and inviting. But there wasn't enough laughter. <laughs> Says you. It was as if the house were quietly waiting for something just out of reach. A sense of hushed expectancy surrounded Emily as she moved through the silent room. That is, that sucks. Forty nights in a row of like chilling around fireplaces, being all like, "Oh, there's a hushed expectancy following me around." That's a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> the clock in the study chimed four times, signaling it was time for tea. With a quiet sigh, she tucked away the needlepoint and was working. She was working on and rose from her seat by the window. Soon, Mister Rossi would arrive. They would sit down and would tell her about his day of the owner. Of London's largest newspaper. <laughs> As if on cue, the slamming of the... F Boy, howdy. You gotta, you gotta love somebody who runs the biggest newspaper in London, but is still home for tea time. And that's when they're clocking out for the day, too. That's not what I thought the whole Industrial Revolution was in the Luddites and all that. That definitely doesn't go down with my understanding of early 1800s London. Uh, but I guess that's... It's okay. We don't really need to. Why, why would you learn about the period you set a story in? You just set stories in periods, and then you make everybody act like your friend Beth. Duh. That's how you do historical fiction. 
Just ask Bill O'Reilly. As if on cue, the slamming of the front door signaled his arrival. His voice boomed. That's right. I'm jealous of a lot of people. His voice boomed through the downstairs room. Emily, I'm home. The smile that tipped up her mouth wasn't as forced as it had been six weeks earlier. In fact, if she paid attention to the butterflies in her stomach, she would realize she was actually happy he was home. <laughs> That's what spending too much time alone will do. She mumbled as she made her way up to the foyer. Wait, she's English. Sorry, I apologize. She made her way up to the foyer, as well as making one talk to oneself. Mr. Rossi was standing just inside the front door, shrugging out of his topcoat when he passed it to Morgan, who turned out to be much more than a driver. He crossed the all right. He crossed the marble floor, and his heels ringing against the stone. Even Emily had to admit the deep green waistcoat and black wool breeches suited him, although she tried to keep the admiration for appearance out of her eyes. Okay, what's this asshole's name again? Morgan. Okay. This is Morgan now. Good afternoon, Miss Rossi. His grin was only slightly mocking. His brown eyes gleamed with good humor. How was your day? It was the same every day. He called her Miss Rossi and asked her about her day. Oddly, the routine was soothing. Emily never thought she needed or wanted routine in her life. When she was living in the country, all she wished for was a little excitement. I feel like we skipped the wrong fucking parts of this story. I am so fucking lost. <laughs> now, the very idea of predictable made her feel safe. Emily shook her head and fought against returning his smile. Lady Emily, she corrected without heat, and my day was fine. Why is she a lady? Is he a newspaper editor Duke? Is he, the, is he Duke Rossi of newspaper? Is he Duke newspaper? Someone didn't even watch season one of Downton Abbey, for Christ's sakes. They're going to try and lecture us on a forbidden romance between a driver and a house girl. Someone who didn't even watch fucking season one. <sighs> oh, shit. Oh, it's not Morgan. Never mind. I was all excited. I thought this story was about to kick off. We've got so much further to go before we get to something interesting. <sighs> Stepping closer, Mr. Rossi rested his hand against her waist. His body barely brushed against hers, and she held herself right and rigid to prevent the unnecessary contact. Staring down her, he murmured, Kiss me, Emily. Again, it was the same thing that he said every day since they arrived at their London house. He never asked her for more than a kiss. Never! But he wanted her to kiss him any time he asked. Oh, he would not force her. She knew because in the beginning there were a handful of times that she had refused. Now she can't remember why she told him no. But there was no reason, really. It was just to retain some semblance of control over her own destiny rather than to rebel against him. That she seemed to understand and to accept her desire for controlling both irritated and intrigued her. Anticipation fluttered through her. She raised her hands to her shoulders. Five bucks says, even though there's two paragraphs about this fucking kiss, like, there's going to be, like, maybe 25 consecutive words about a dick going inside a hole. Guaranteed. Just guarantee. I just feel it. I just feel it. Anticipation fluttering through her. She raised her hands to her shoulders, leaned forward, and flitted her mouth against his. She tasted the pipe smoke. Both bitter and sweet, he tasted familiar. Even as her hands tightened around his waist, even as the lips parched against hers, she wondered when finding comfort in all this daily routine had become 
heard truth. With a quiet grunt of what sounded like approval, Mr. Rossi flicked his tongue around her bottom lip. He had done with more than so often the past couple of weeks. At first, Emily recoiled. The very idea of his tongue inside her mouth had disgusted her, but with a patience that surprised her, he persisted. Gently, he coaxed until Emily had not only allowed the kiss, she found herself participating. <laughs> she can remember vividly the first time his tongue swept into her mouth and slipped over hers, surprised at the heat and roughness of it. <laughs> what had she thought? This had better be the opening chapter of a fucking book if we're on five, paragraph five about this fucking kiss. Better fucking be. Better fucking be. Five consecutive paragraphs about one fucking kiss. This is like Ernest Hemingway talking about the dirt in fucking Africa. Holy shit. Confused by her body's reaction, Emily quickly pulled away. I wish you wouldn't do that here. She fought against the desire to wipe her mouth. Fought against the urge to kiss him again. Instead, she lifted her head and gave him the haughtiest stare. For a second, irritation flared in his eyes. Then, a lopsided grin slid over his mouth and a familiar twinkle in his eyes. It's my house. I will do as I please. Holding out his hand, he waited for her to take it. I'm starving. Let's take our tea in the study today. <clears throat> Scene two. X. A fire was burning brightly in the fireplace in the sitting room of the master suite with Emily retired there after dinner. A pale yellow drape was drawn across the window, hiding the rainy night from her gaze, settling onto the city next to the hearth. She debated on beginning to read and then decided to wait for Mr. Rossi, who was downstairs in the study having an after-dinner whiskey. With a resigned sigh, she piled the needlework and abandoned the days early and began to play with the fabric and the needle and thread. It was her mindless work and she talked her opportunity to tell wonder. Distracted, Emily jumped into the needle and pierced her finger reflexively. She raised her hand to her mouth and sucked at the drop of blood that appeared there. Are you all right? Oh, I thought it was going to be Morgan. Mr. Rossi interrupted her thoughts. I'm fine. Let me see. He crossed the room, his long legs carrying him quickly to her side. We know nothing about this guy except taller than her, owns a newspaper, long legs. That's it. That's all we know about Rossi. <laughs> and he can motherfucking kiss a bitch. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. That was unfair. You can tell the COVID's getting to daddy. Tip me! He sat down beside her and took her hand in his. He uncurled her fingers and stared down at the drop of blood welling from the tiny hole of her index finger. Without hesitation, he bent his head down and touched his lips to the fingertip. Suddenly... There wasn't enough air in the room. <gasps> Emily wasn't sure how or why, but it was gone, and with it, her will to protest. She stabbed herself during needlepoint. Sorry, I, I read that super quick because I didn't think it was going to be relevant, and now apparently it's the beginning. She was doing needlepoint, and she's a woman, and women don't know things when they think about dick, and they stab themselves. Have you never seen a movie? If a woman thinks about a man, she'll hurt herself, and then the man will be there to fix her. God. Basic biology. What are they teaching you kids in school? By the way, I was educated in Kansas. <clears throat> I can't find a man. When's the last time that you bathed in a lake with a tree line that he could respectfully look through and gaze upon you at? Huh? 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 When's the last time you tried it? This is basic, basic courtsmanship. Don't bathe in an open lake like a hussy. 
He sat down beside her, he took her in his hand, he uncurled his fingers as he stared down at the drop of blood welling from the tiny hole in her index finger. Without hesitation, he bent his head down and touched his lips to the fingertip. Suddenly there wasn't enough air in the room. Emily wasn't sure how or why, but it was gone and with it, her will to protest. She knew that she should pull away, should be outraged at the intimacy. Instead, she found herself trembling as his mustache brushed over her skin. Then his tongue laved her finger. And the feelings from earlier were back. Vaguely, she wondered, if this was lust, this fullness in her breasts, this hollow weight in the pit of her stomach, the tingle in her most feminine of places, she could feel his eyes on her, watching her, could feel his lips curve into a smile. When he drew away, she bit the bottom lip to stop the whimper of protest that rose in her throat. The glint in his eyes said that he knew a secret. More specifically, he know her secret. Jerking her hand away, Emily turned her head into study the fire. When did this man's touch become something her body responded to? When did this man's touch become something she wanted instead of abhorred? When did this start becoming guiding light lyrics from the 80s? Mr. Rossi placed a rough finger against her cheek and turned her face to his. You're a beautiful woman, Emily. My voice has changed, and one day you shall cease to fight me. I will make you feel more than you ever thought possible. She wanted to be angry, but there was something in his voice. <laughs> A sincerity that told her that she wasn't he wasn't teasing or bragging. There was a longing in his look and a gentleness to his touch. For that moment, Emily allowed herself to believe that he might actually want her for something more than the social benefits marriage could afford <laughs> <laughs> the editor of the largest newspaper in London in 1820. <clears throat> yes, the, far the farm girl that he's purchased is really, really fucking helping him <laughs> climb up the fuck. Down Abbey, one season, maybe even six episodes. Bridger Jodger Gaga Gaga Tintin? Bridger Gaga Tintin? Bridger Gaga Tintin? Bridger Tintin? Just, just watch a couple episodes. You'll get the hang of it. You don't even have to know that much about the period. I promise Chandra Rhymes fucking didn't. It still works. Still works. Turns out you don't really need to know much. All right. <clears throat> I'm sure I feel what a woman feels. She tried for haughty, wanting nothing more than to put this entire instance behind them. But the words sounded weak, unsure even to her. Arian. His voice was soft and warm more than words. His question was a caress. You know what it feels like to make love to a man. Once again, Emily braced herself for the rush of anger such words should have engendered. engendered. She waited for it, hoping to use it to put some distance between them. Once again, it failed to come. Lust, hot and sweet, like warm honey, rolled through her veins. Trapped by his gaze, she struggled to draw in a breath. He reached out and trailed fingers over her mouth, and she was shocked at the rightness of his skin against hers. She had kissed him hundreds of times, and none of them had felt as intimate as this one touch. Kiss me, Emily. Deep and slightly uneven, his words slid over her. He made no move to touch her, but the hint 
of challenge in his voice, and the hot glint of his eyes was more than enough to have goose flesh rising on her arms. She shivered, not because the room was cold. She neither noticed nor cared about the temperature. No, she took the force of her wanting from the conflict that waiting caused. Drawn to him, unable to break the spell that he was weaving around her with his voice in his eyes, Emily turned her body to his. She expected him to reach for her, wanted him to take the decision away from her, but he waited against her to make the decision. Still, he wavered, her body swaying against the pull of his, hoping against hope. The aching would pass. Emily. He murmured her name, and she felt each syllable pull at her. Fear gripped her, fear of the unknown, fear of opening herself up to the man, fear of being hurt. It was fear that kept the rooting in place of whatever fiber of her was screaming at her to kiss him, to take the first steps of this path with him, gripping the skirt with trembling hands. Emily closed her eyes and drew in a deep breath, hoping to steady herself. Her eyes fluttered open to... Don't you want to read this evening? Even to her, the question sounded inane. She knew neither of them had any desire to read or play with one of the board games they normally engaged in. There was too much electricity in the air. It allowed either of them to concentrate on such mundane things. Tonight, no matter how much she tried to avoid it, she was going to allow him more than a simple kiss. Mr. Rossi shook his head. A fruitful smile of play. No! She swallowed hard and forced her fingers to loosen their hold on the skirt. One leg that wobbled dangerously, Emily leaned towards him until her breast brushed against his chest, until she could feel his thighs pressed against her skirt. Placing her hands on his shoulders, she kissed him. Wait a minute, she's not going to fuck Morgan. What was all that to do with Morgan then, if she's not going to fuck Morgan? Why... Why well, I I don't even know this I don't even know Rossi's first name, but I know Morgan's. Alright, fine. <laughs> I just really wonder where Morgan was gonna fuck her, and now I guess that's just not gonna happen. He tasted of whiskey and Emily wondered if he just could make her intoxicated. Surely that was the only way to explain the lightheadedness of her clinging to his shoulders and parting her lips under without a second's hesitation. In the back of her mind she cautioned herself to slow down, but her body refused to listen. She pressed closer, sliding her hands around to the back of his neck and wondering at the quiet moan that escaped him. Mr. Rossi settled at one hand at the small of her back and used the other to cup the back of her head. His strong fingers cradled while he used his mouth to ravish hers. Gentleness and savagery is everything he did. Every move of his lips, every stroke of his tongue tugged an invisible string that ran straight through the center to the secret place between her thighs. What had started as a tingle was now an ache. Without warning, he tore his mouth from hers and trailed his lips along the jaw to her ear. Do you trust me? Before she could form the words in his mouth, they were on hers, and she could tell this kiss, unlike all the others before it, had purpose. She hadn't realized that he was holding back in their prior exchanges until now, but there was subtle dominance in his touch, and his kiss was proprietary. His hands were in her hair, fumbling to release the pins, tugging at the strands until it fell around her shoulders, and all the while he never stopped kissing her. Tiny nips with his teeth, long needy sweeps with his tongue, and soft lingering presses of his lips to hers. Emily had never known there were so many kinds of kisses, each of them speaking to her in ways that that could not.
When finally she felt his fingers were at the ribbons holding the bodice of her dress, Emily stiffened, but he was not there, stroking his hands along her arms, soothing her. He whispered assurances, promising to ask no more than what she was willing to give. His words and his touch continued to stroke the fire that was roaring through her veins, and before she realized what was happening, his mouth was running along the top of her breasts. <clears throat> She was looking at him as his teeth gazed, grazed the soft skin of her chest. She could see the need blazing in his eyes as his desire fed on her own. She wanted to touch them, to have him touch her. In fact, if she didn't do something to help ease the ache that was beginning to consume her, Emily was afraid she might just die from the wanting. Everywhere he touched burned, her cheek, her throat, her shoulders, the delicate skin along her collarbone. Emily clung to him, her hands clutching her shoulders, dragging, digging into the fine linen of his shirt. She had her eyes closed so tightly she could see colors swirl behind her lids. So concentrated was she on the way that he was making her feel, she failed to notice him working her bodice down below her breasts. Mr. Rossi paused in the ministrations, and nervous Emily opened her eyes. He was looking at her, his gaze hot and heavy against her skin. She had seen her body in the mirror thousands of times over the course of her life, but she had never thought of how it would look to someone else, never thought of how her breasts, full and firm and nicely rounded with nipples, just a few shades different from her own pale skin, the light pink of her blush, how it would look to a man. And at that moment, with her dress and chemise around her waist, Emily was so self-conscious she barely resisted the urge to cover herself with her hands. He loomed over her, pressing her against the arm of the cité. He carved, the carved wood was cutting into her back, and she wondered vaguely if she might have a bruise there later. Slowly, with reverence in every move, he bent his head and nuzzled in the valley between her breasts. His mustache tickled while his afternoon beard scraped her delicate skin, turning his head slightly left and then right. Mr. Rossi kissed each breast in turn, while she was trying to catalogue the sensation of his warm lips against her skin, against that skin, he was sliding to the floor to kneel beside the city. Then his hands were on her. One arm supported her, while his other hand explored her body. His palm brushed over her nipples, his fingers lightly squeezed her breasts, and his mouth, his mouth ravaged hers. If she had been thinking clearly, been thinking at all, she would have used the word plundered. But she wasn't thinking. Only feeling. Emily couldn't process it all at once. She tried her mind struggling to catalog each touch, each kiss, but it wasn't happening so fast, and yet not fast enough. She wanted him to slow down, to let her absorb it all, and she wanted him to hurry, because the ache was unbearable. Her breast felt swollen tight and hard, and she gasped as his mouth left hers to wrap tightly around her nipple. Then he began to suck, his lips tugging and releasing over and over, until she wanted to weep from the sheer beauty of what he was doing for her. Unconsciously, she arched her back and threaded her fingers through his hair, drawing him close as possible. Instinct, something primal and dark and a little dangerous, had her clenching her thighs and rolling her hips in an effort to ease the delicious discomfort between her legs. She had never known, never imagined it would be like this, the sharp bite of need that was concentrated at her very center, the knowledge that only his touch could bring her relief. In a move that bordered on violence, she 
jerked herself away from him. With shaking hands, he began tugging his shirt over his head. Emily stared up at him with wide eyes, afraid to look away lest he disappear. When the garment was nothing more than a pile of snow-white linen on the floor, he removed his undershirt and dropped it as well. Then he took her hands and placed them palms against his chest. And as soon as she touched him, his eyes slammed closed, and he tilted his face towards heaven, his lips moving as if in prayer. With his flushed cheeks and mussed hair, he looked untamed, and Emily felt a frisson of fear move through her. Then he looked down at her and smiled that crooked smile, and she was lost in the feel of him once again. Curiously, Emily allowed herself to look at him the way that he looked at her, so different from her own soft curves. He was broad and muscular. His skin was warm and alive under her fingers. The smattering of hair tickled her hands, and she slid over them. She brushed over the flat discs of her nipples, intrigued by the hiss of his indrawn breath. All her attention was focused on the textures of Mr. Rossi, the smooth and the rough, the soft and the hard. His torso was a tactile feast that she was intent on partaking of. She was so focused, so concentrated, that she didn't realize that he had unbuttoned his pants, and he took her hand and guided it to his exposed penis. Shock ran through her, and Emily jerked her hand away. Emily, he groaned. Please touch me. She couldn't help it. She let her eyes lower, bobbing down and then up again for a quick glimpse. She's not sure what she expected to see. Emily couldn't deny that what she saw made her want to touch him. But more than that, she wanted to look at him. She wondered what that said about her, that she could be interested in seeing him naked, hands clenched into fists, pressing tightly against her abdomen. She looked. He's beautiful, she realized. His manhood jutted out at her from a nest of dark curls. The shaft was dark red, angry-looking, and the tip flared out like a blunt sword. The skin was stretched so tight around the head that it looked like it began to slide back, exposing smoother skin so engorged it was almost purple, and she wanted to touch it, to test the weight of it, to know if the skin was as, su was as silky as it appeared. Gently, he took her hand in his. And when she nodded, he used his hand to wrap hers around his erection. For a second or two, maybe more, Emily simply held him in her hand. So many things were running through her mind as she tried to sort out what she was feeling. He was hot and heavy against her palm, his heat burning into her, marking her with his in some invisible way. Without thinking, she tightened her fingers around him. He hissed, his head dropping forward until her chin rested on his chest. Just like that. Unsure of what to do, Emily trailed her fingers along his length, tracing the thick vein along the underside of his shaft, and he urged her on. She skimmed a fingernail around the head and stopped breathing. When she squeezed again, his hips jerked around her head and he groaned again, she thought, allowing his reaction to guide her through this uncharted territory. Emboldened, Emily moved her fingers over his velvety skin with her more pressure, more assurance. She felt him tremble and, in that very second, began to realize her power over him. With heavy, hidden, with heavy, lidden eyes, she watched his face, intrigued and even more aroused by the play of emotions there. He wasn't idle. <clears throat> his hands roamed her body, her breasts, her stomach, her waist. 
everywhere. With her hands in her mouth, he worshipped her. He whispered of her. He whispered to her of beauty, of grace, of sex, of love. With every brush of his skin against hers, with every breath, every word, every kiss, he transported her to the place that she had never imagined. A place of sensation so intense that she could scarcely breathe. When Mr. Rossi's fingers first touched her calf, Emily jumped. She had been so overwhelmed by his love-making that she hadn't even noticed when he began working his hands under her skirt. He was feathering and fingers along inside her knees, and she felt her thigh muscles loosen, her legs dropping open in anticipation, wanton the word rolled through her mind, and she tensed under his touch. No, just relax. His words were whispered groan against her breastbone. It's going to be so good. I'll make it good. He stroked along the inside of her thigh, and Emily trembled. She wanted this, wanted to touch, wanted to know if there was more pleasure to be held. Somehow she knew there was, knew that he would be the one to bring her to the heights that she had never imagined. Sighing, she tangled her fingers in her hair and dragged his face to hers. Then he was kissing her, and she was hot and thick against the palm of his hands and were tugging up in the tie of her palpatoons, of her pantaloons. Oof. And when they were loose... He slipped inside and brushed over her sacks. For a long moment, Emily's breath was caught in her lungs before escaping on a moan so quiet it was almost a sigh. The stroke of his fingers against her swollen flesh was more than she had ever imagined it could be, and yet not enough. She was so aroused, so sensitive, that even the slightest pressure that his touch, while exquisite, was almost painful. With her eyes closed, Emily could hear the blood rushing past her ears, could feel her heart racing beneath her breast, fluttering like a bird in a cage, could feel the same thundering beat between her thighs. It seemed that her pulse was driven by every press of his palm against her mound, by the slip and slide of his callous digits between the lip of her sex. In fact, all of her attention was focused just there, at the place where Mr. Rossi's finger was slowing, steadily pushing into her body. He was kissing her, short, hard presses of his lips to her lips, to her cheek, to her throat, to her chest. When he reached her breast, he used his tongue and his teeth, nipping and soothing and nipples until they were standing up in hard, tight peaks. Then his mouth was on hers again, his tongue thrusted between his lips in a beautiful counterpoint to the thrust of his fingers into her vagina. Push and pull, in and out, Emily chased him, her mouth clinging to his, her tongue slipping between his teeth to slide against his, her hips rising and falling with every slow, slippery push of his hand. She could feel it building, the knead like a razor's edge against her skin. The ache between her legs was spreading down the insides of her thighs and up into the pit of her belly. Opening her legs just a little bit more, she pushed herself back down against his hand, forcing him as deep as their bodies would allow. As if from a great distance she heard him moan, him say her name, but with nothing mattered except the delicious tingle that was beginning just where his thumb was pressing against and the tiny spot at the front of her vulva. And then it exploded, the tingle and the heat turning into a blend of pleasure and pain that ripped through entire body in waves, light and sound, even as time seemed to be expand and contract with every pulse of her muscles. Every sense was on high alert. She could smell the earthly musk of release, could hear a mewling sound that she realized 
was coming from her. And then, with a shout that bordered on triumphant, Mr. Rossi shouted hard against the hand that was still gripping the engorged penis. His theme semen, thick and hot, ran down over her thumb and fingers. His smell, tangier and sharper than hers, drifted on the thick air. Emily forced her eyes open, then washed his face as she slipped her thumb over the head of the penis, smearing the viscous white fluid across her still throbbing flesh. Well, that got kind of good. <clears throat> it goes on for a while, but it gets unsexy for a bit, and then the sex, I think, starts up. Uh, I made fun of it. That got pretty good, though, for a while there. I think that's a pretty good place to cut it. So there you go. In the arms of love. And I don't have an author. I apologize. There you go. <clears throat> oh, man. Uh, how much, how much do I love you and how much do you love me? Seeing the first two names of this fucking, seeing the first two names of this fucking, yeah, show me you love me with the, f <laughs> make like I'm a stripper and shove money up my ass if you love me, all right? This is, after what I just read for you guys, this is going to be something, okay? This is really going to be something. Here we go. <sighs> Naomi was taking the ship's controls when Amos caught up with her in the hallway on one of the lower levels of the salvaged Martian ride. She looked annoyed. What's going on? Amos asked her. And I don't really think I should probably do her voice, but anyway. Oh, I don't know, she replied. That's the ship. It seems to know everything. She growled at the ceiling. Oh, God. Oh, God, this is the worst kind of fucking fanfic. Oh, this is the one where they think, like, accents are, like, traits and shit. Oh, fuck. Here we go. It sure beats the buckets that we've been on in the past, Amos said, inserting a laugh into his voice. He sure needed a better mood than this if he was going to change her mind to get them on course to Tycho. There's nothing to fix, she said in frustration. You fixed my leg, he pointed out, trying to sit down. Oh, no. This was written by a man that likes a psychopath for his favorite character. Ah, oh, fuck. This is like if you were reading a Game of Thrones fanfic, and like of all the characters they could choose, they choose to identify with first person Stannis or something. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> of all that cast of characters, that's who you're choosing to go with, huh? Oh, fuck. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I thought Stannis was the manis. Uh, he had the best child care plan in Westeros, but yeah, there's a lot of issues. <sighs> I have three coffee mugs. One of them is just a picture of Mrs. Kitty with a tiara on her head. Like an animated Mrs. Kitty with a tiara on her head. One of them uh, one of them is a reference to a band, the Avalanches. It's it's just a guy like dro drooped over like Mad Men, like the silhouette of Mad Men. 
and it just says, I promised my girlfriend I'd play the violin. Uh, that somebody got for me because I just love that line from an Avalanche's song. <laughs> and the last one is Stannis giving a big thumbs up and it says, World's number one dad. Make me read some shitty fan fiction. I'm gonna tell you about shitty fan fiction. That's how that's how this deal goes down in Jacktown. All right. <clears throat> Stay around afterwards. I'm gonna rant about the fucking expanse. All right. It's a long story. She sighed, setting her jaw again. Amos still wore a smile, but he let a frustrated excel out of his own. I always back your play because you always do the right thing, but usually I can figure out why. That's an actual line from the fucking show. It's not my place. It's the man, Naomi clarified. Fred Johnson, Amos asked with a note of surprise. You know him? I've known guys like... Oh my god, this is actually from the fucking... What's happening here? Wait, what? This is an actual plot point. (laughs) Okay, hold on. I'm skipping ahead. This is actually season two. I don't fucking give it. We're not going to fucking read. Okay, okay. We're getting to this X. Okay, okay. He and Naomi had never been an item. Amos never lied to Holden earlier about that. But they had been times where she would let him have her. And he thought maybe this might be one of those times. A lot of people fucked when they needed comfort. That was more or less one of the main pillars of the world Amos came. Oh, God damn. I really hope this person has not gotten this far into the fucking show that they said that about Amos. Ah, fuck. I don't want to give too much away, but... Uh, saying that Amos is... That's a pillar of where he came from is real fucking dark as shit. Uh, probably inadvertently. Alright, we're gonna keep going in case I spoil some stuff. He watched her closely as she put one hand under her chin. She was still frowning, but she didn't stop him. What was one of those things people say to make each other feel better? You're gonna be okay. He told her very seriously, and then he took the risk. And pressed his lips to hers. Naomi made an odd sound and then kissed him back so hard he had to grab her behind the head to stop the force from pushing them apart? That is not how that works. That is not how that works at all. Oh, this is oh, this is gonna be a little bit more fun than I thought, because this is somebody who doesn't know the basic mechanics of kissing. So they're not, now they're gonna talk about space fucking. So here we go. Someone who doesn't know what kissing is is going to tell us about space fucking. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Okay, real quick, since he's dead and that piece of shit, one of the dumbest things that Rush Limbaugh ever said, and I mean, think about that list. Just, Just three seconds of silence for how long that list must be. One of the dumbest things Rush Limbaugh ever said was talking about how great it would be if there was a hotel in outer space for couples who had never had sex on Earth to go and have space and have sex in outer space. Al Franken, 
spent five minutes straight talking about how great it would be to try and watch fumbling virgins in outer space in zero gravity try and figure out the basic mechanics of sex if they actually lived in Rush Limbaugh's world where they lived on Earth, basically only got education from the Bible and John Wayne, got shot up on a fucking rocket to a zero-speed environment, figured out where everything was working, got the blood flow working, and then just tried to go ahead and take a stab, quite literally, but also figuratively, at it. And now we're about to experience that in fanfic form. Here we go. Naomi made an odd sound and then kissed him back so hard she tried to grab the back of his head to stop the force from pushing them apart. The ship wasn't under thrust, so there was no gravity stabilizing them. Every movement had to be careful, or it would cause them to bounce back and spin away from each other. Naomi's hands came up to the back of his neck, and she clung to him, mouth working against his with a hunger Amos had not expected. It was hot as hell. She unclicked her mag boots and wound her body around him, and Amos felt a rising need to crush her. Smother her! He took her several steps that it would take to push against the wall, bracing himself against the mag boots so he could press her back against the rebound. He had a sudden memory of thick glass and heavy doors separating them on the Martian warship, guards with guns keeping them apart. He growled and started biting her neck. Hands grasping hard at her shoulder and her ass, Naomi was moaning under her breath and grinding herself against his cock. He tried to find the zipper on her coveralls. <laughs> it's true. There's a lot of jumpsuit fucking on that show. It's so fucking funny, too. <laughs> Amos. She breathed. She had a tone that she used when she needed him to stop doing something. He stilled his hands and held her steady at the shoulders, pulled his head back to look her in the eyes. He thought he had been reading her right, but also pretty used to missing the subtleties and getting corrected. He made sure... Yes, sir, that's correct, fanfic author. He made sure his expressions let her know that she could stop him if he wanted, never mind the throbbing of his dick still pressed against her. Let's go somewhere more private before you stop taking my clothes off, Naomi said, mouth twisting into a smile. Amos cracked a grin of his own <laughs> before looking down the hall. This wasn't the crew deck, so they weren't going to find any beds in any of these rooms. But since they were on the float, he figured beds weren't really necessary anyway. Awooga. Naomi nodded towards the nearest doorway, her fingers teasing down his belly. Amos realized that his own hands had started stroking the back of her neck. He was really glad she didn't want to stop. Naomi twisted a little to free herself from his grip, then pushed off the bulkhead to glide across the hall. She was always so graceful in zero-g. She tapped the control panel to slide the door open. The lights flickered on automatically, but Amos didn't even see the room beyond as he watched Naomi twist inside with a beckoning finger pulling at the zipper of her jumpsuit. Didn't matter what kind of room it was as long as there was no people's incense. Amos had his boots engaged for walking, not trusting himself to float so expertly in the currently over-eager state. Naomi was dimming the lights to minimal as he stepped inside. Amos smashed the panel and shut the door behind him and then pulled her back into him by the wrists. No more.
waiting. She wound her arms around his neck and grabbed the back of his head to pull her in for another crushing kiss. Amos hadn't felt wound to this tight in a long time. Besides, Naomi was smiling again, and he was going to keep doing whatever it took to keep her that way. While Naomi ran her fingernails over his scalp, Amos pulled his zipper the rest of the way down and started peeling her out of the jumpsuit. It was a tricky thing to do without gravity. He and... <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but it is. It's like, I don't know. Whatever. All right. Just <laughs> not going to give us any detail or any further information on that one, huh? All right, boss. Let's have, you're driving this ship without gravity. Uh, <clears throat> Naomi just relaxed and let him do it. Her eyes closed. It must have felt nice. Amos' mouth was magnetically drawn to each new piece of skin. He revealed the curve of her shoulder, the strip of belly between her undershirt and panties, the long, slender thighs he helped out of her boots. She giggled when he rubbed his cheek where her thighs met. He looked up at her, anchoring his knees loosely against her shoulders. His dick was getting so hard it almost hurt, but wasn't sure how much more foreplay he was in the mood to give her. Naomi looked down at him through lidded eyes and pulled her shirt off, breast floating flea, impossibly perky. Well, there's gravity, so how could that be? Well, maybe he could take a little time to play before he got down to fucking her. Amos reached up and grabbed his palms over her floating tits, light as a feather. One more time. Amos reached up with his palms on her floating tits, light as a feather. He had never gone to touch them in zero-G before. When he pressed hard enough to get a good feel, she started floating away from him. Damn no gravity! He wrapped one arm firmly around her so she couldn't get anywhere, then resumed fondling. <laughs> Amos's touch was so different this time. It had to be because the constraints of movement and no gravity. Every squeeze and caress calibrated not to bounce or repel, and yet the result was almost indistinguishable from tenderness. A reverent and careful worship. Na not, but not like worship like they said the previous two times, this time with an O. Naomi had felt that from Amos when they had slept together before, when they were just two shipmates easing the boredom of a long, uneventful space flight. It had been playful and fun, but the day it had been fucking. Pushing. Banging. Pounding. Motions that would send them flying apart in microgravity. Today, they had to pull together, clung, hung, hold. It was unexpected and welcome intimacy. Naomi held her legs looped around Amos's waist, anchoring her body to his as she floated, relaxing in the lack of gra- All right! In the lack of gravity that meant that their ship was safely nowhere without a destination, lost in the empty and uneventful patch of- sp I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yell. Just sometimes daddy doesn't understand what a sci-fi concept- They just won't leave it, and you just- All you have to do is introduce a sci-fi concept, and then we get it. You don't have to keep saying it's a concept, we- <laughs> And then the robot, but the robot, because the robot's a robot. She wanted to hide here for a long time as she could. Amos' mouth closed over one of her nipples, careful and warm. His big hands were stabilizing her with a loose grip over her ribs. Naomi drew in a deep breath as he sucked, a pleasant jolt running from his mouth straight through her core. If Amos had offered this as a distraction from her worries, it was working. 
But every pinch and pull only increased the rising need growing in her for more. She pulled herself in with her legs, brushed her clit still imprisoned in her panties against the bulge straining against his pants. Even that light touch bounced her away. But her... I don't think this is how zero-g works. I don't think you just, like, spring off each other just because you're not being actively weighed down by the earth. I just... It's a theory. If Amos had offered this... Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, Even that light touch bounced her away, but, he, but her crossed ankles locked behind the back stopped her from flying too far, rebounded her back into his hips again, moving in microgravity was a dance, and making love was no different than any other delicate task, except that it was hard to stay delicate with every glancing, teasing touch, only inciting a deeper craving. Amos growled and rammed her against himself, muscling through the rebound and grinding the- Put your fucking mag boots on, you fucking crow magnets. I need you inside me, Amos. Naomi breathed, sliding her hands over his shoulders down the broad planes of his chest to zip his jumpsuit all the way down. She just, she was losing her taste for the slow build, too. They fumbled his coveralls off, pushing the, fa I really hope you women find that outfit attractive, pushing the fabric down his hips just far enough to get the dull teeth of the open zipper out of the way of the sensitive flesh. Naomi locked her legs around him so that she could tear at his undershirt with both hands, revealing the beautiful body underneath. As she ran her palms over his toned chest, she absently wondered why she didn't indulge in him more often. Amos looked up at her as she caressed him. Eyes were flooded with lust, the intensity of the gaze almost frightening. There was absolutely nothing in this world but her right now. Naomi ran her hands down his stomach and dipped into his undershorts, eagerly encircling his cock. He was so ready for her. She held on with a few teasing squeezes as she peeled her panties off, biting his shoulders as if they were only way that she could make it through the final moments before he could take off. When her legs were freed, Naomi looped around uh, Amos's waist again. She freed his cock from the underwear and then held him in with her hands, inches away from herself. Amos wet his fingers in his mouth and then slowly drew them against her opening, making sure that she was ready. Naomi shivered. One of the reasons why she occasionally took Amos to bed was that she was a bit too large for her. The soreness she knew would be coming the next day didn't always feel worth it. But right now, an overwhelming, aching type of pleasure was exactly what she was craving, as long as they were starting slow. She let Amos know that she was ready with a smile, placing one hand at the back of his neck and lining him up with the other. Amos held her steady around his hips and teasing him and herself, running his head down and up her slit, awakening all the nerve endings that had been crying out for context. She closed her eyes and slid over him like that for a few moments, until she was almost shuddering from the anticipation. When she couldn't make herself wait any longer, Naomi spit into her hand and put a little bit more lubrication on his shaft and then settled Amos against her inner lips. <sighs> All that buildup for that fucking line. I tell you. His eager hands moved to her ass and started pulling, bearing her over across his fat head. Slow, Naomi cried in warning, feeling the stretch of him already. Here we go. Here we go. <clears throat> Don't worry, boss. He said in her ear. I know. I'll go easy on you. 
Amos pressed into her steadily, blissfully slow. Naomi felt her every inch. But she was so ready, needing him so badly, that the dull aching pressure of him was entirely satisfying. She arched way back, let go of his shoulders, and let herself float. She focused on breathing slowly, deeply, feeling nothing but the inexorable slide filling her to the brim. When his hips settled against hers, Amos was fully sheathed inside her. Naomi was almost afraid to move. She was actually surprised she had taken him all the way. In the past, there had been sharp pain, and she had thought that she didn't have room for him. The lack of gravity must have relaxed her more deeply, allowing an angle that lifted her cervix out of the way. <laughs> the, the girls, the things you gals have me fucking read. The things you fucking gals have me fuck. The things you fucking gals have me fucking read. Woo! I knew as soon as we were going to zero G that things were going to get fucking crazy. So there's this thing, and like I, I, I've told you about trying to masturbate to hentai and it like being shockingly difficult. Like even if you just want to masturbate to a cartoon. Just because of the shit they'll just they'll just throw in there. Like, you'll just be masturbating because you skip to a sex scene and then, like, you're jerking off. And then all of a sudden the girl's all like, oh, no, the pill's about to wear off. And I'm about to turn back into a five-year-old. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> what the hell? That was skipped. Jesus Christ. You know, like all the like all the time you'll just, you know, you really have to be very careful with these fucking... Japanese animations and shit like you don't you don't really like especially since Resident Evil came out you never know when like someone's just going to turn into a giant and i guess the rule is if a giant if a 15 year old is giant then consent is okay like i don't really like the like it's really that's a wild west of animated porn out there and you can accidentally find all of it in under 30 minutes, the wrong 30 minutes, if you're high enough, I guess. Um, the reason the reason why I bring this up is because apparently in anime, it's just so erotic for women, especially if they have had little to no sex, for someone to hit their cervix with their penis. So like the first time a woman's having sex, if a man hits her cervix or her uterus with his penis... That's the most erotic thing in the world in hente, apparently. Like, especially if a woman didn't know she was going to be having sex and, like, a man, she's all like, I don't like it, I don't like it. But then a man's, then they animate and they show, like, his penis literally infiltrating her womb, the inside of, like, they'll literally animate her inside. And as soon as that happens, she's all like, this is amazing! This is so great! Yay! As soon as that happens, right? And, like... I exposed myself to that, and I hurt myself on that one. But this is you telling me that you think that there's men out there who are all like, oh, man, if you could just pound a woman without that cervix getting in the way. Oh, she fucking love it. I just, as soon as they said zero grief, zero G fucking, and they opted for it, I knew it was going to get bad, but I didn't think it was going to be floating. Floating cervix is not an erotic description. It's a horrible medical diagnosis.
Oh no, she's got a floating cervix. <laughs> oh, did you hear about it? Oh, you better be nice to her. She's got a floating cervix. She she gonna be temperamental a while. You better understand that. Okay. All right. We're almost done. We got this. We got this. We're going to power through. <clears throat> I just have to get back to the floating cervix. Okay. The lack of gravity must have relaxed her deeply, allowing an angle that lifted her cervix out of the way. Amos held still for her, letting her adjust the intensity of the sensation. She rocked her hips slightly, experimentally. She heard herself groan in ecstasy like red-hot magma oozed off her overstretched inner walls. <laughs> damn you. God damn you. She rised slowly in the air until the intensity subsided enough for her to open her eyes. Check with Amos. His eyes were parted, eyes fixed on her face. Are you okay? Am I hurting you? Naomi realized she wasn't smiling anymore. She, The feeling was well beyond simple pleasure. No, I'm all right, she said, and tried to crack a smile to reassure him. But he pulsed deeper into her, and her brows creased, smile disappearing until that strained, overwhelming expression of pleasure pushed the limit. He grunted and began slowly drawing himself out of her. His retreat left both relief and longing in its wake. He paused before her, fully exciting her, then began sliding back in, pulling that sharp buzz of pain, pleasure with him again. All the motion was created by the big hands wrapped over her hips, pulling and pushing her so carefully as she floated. Naomi squeezed his forearms, threw her head back, and let deep throaty moans escape her lips before she felt slightly backwards, sweaty, impaled on him. Over and over again. So slow. So steady. There was a buzzing in her ears from the center of her body was glowing like the sun, but somehow it still didn't feel like enough. It was still easy to breathe. Naomi curled at the waist, climbing up to face him with handholds and flexing triceps and shoulders, using her core muscles even with this small amount narrowed to her, increased the almost blinding insensitivity of the girth inside her, but Naomi welcomed the flash of pain. She wanted the sex to obliterate her. She pulled her face close to his, hands clinging to the back of his neck. She and Amos had carried each other through so much shit the past twelve hours. Now she could barely breathe this desperate need to thank him, claim him, pay him back, show her appreciation and pull him in closer, all of that. And judging by the way he was staring into her eyes and the spasming squeeze that gave every thing that reached into her, it must have been feeling something similar. It all bubbled up into a single word that she didn't even mean to speak. Mine. She pressed her forehead against his and started bucking her own hips, bracing herself around his neck, entire body tensing and much to handle. The searing intensity of the sensation that all that she could manage in the inertia was fucking in zero gravity. She couldn't be upset about it. She knew they were just comforting each other. But right now, it felt indistinguishable from love. They still stayed locked together like that for a long time, weightless in the dark, 
as his jim jizz flowed inside her okay that was closer by legitimate savage on archive of our own okay guys just before anybody sends me any hate mail i know that character's name is anus so why did i say amos amos the entire time because that's how they spelled it amos i know it's anos i know it's anus because his name is anus which is one of the funniest fucking things because they tried to make the cool ass sounding character his name is butt his name is anus it's not it's spelled a-n-o-s but they pronounce it a-n-u-s anus anus There's even an ongoing joke where people will be all like, anus? And he'll be like, common name. Because it's not! <laughs> you went to school with an anal? So did I. But they were my teacher. Knuck, knuck, knuck. All right, guys, that was over two hours of me just 100% uh, uh, just throwing some shit at you. You heard some good things. You heard some encouragement. You heard some poetry. You heard some love stories. I got through all of it. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Everybody who came out, everybody who requested, everybody who tipped, all the rest. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's it for me. You're going to keep me and you. I'll be here next week, all next month. New content on the podcast for the patrons, for everybody. If it looks like it's the end of the world outside and you're a little worried about yourself or daddy, just remember, daddy thinks he's going to be doing a lot better in 2021 than he did in 2020, and he hopes the exact same for you as well. Let's all cross our fingers and talk to our friend upstairs, whoever they may be and however we envision them, that things go a little bit better than daddy anticipates. But if not, you are strong. You got through every single one of your bad days, every single one of your bad news cycles, and every one of your horrible events. And here you are, laughing, rolling, making plans, thinking about the things that are going to be good in the future, no matter when that future is. I believe you can keep doing the same. Thank you for encouraging the best of Daddy while he needed it last year. All right, guys, that's it. The show keeps on a rolling, but not for now. See you next week. Goodbye.